Oh, wait for laughing boy here. Is that the 1814 way of describing a car? I started calling people laughing boy. Laughing boy? Yeah, here's laughing boy. It's a good way of bringing people down a peg or two, I'll tell you that. Uh, so we're in Chawton, which is a little village in Hampshire, in the south of England, and that's the home Such to... great geographical knowledge, Andy. Well, this has an international listenership, and I want to make sure that everyone knows exactly where we are. Where everyone's looking at the map right now, yeah. checking. <laughs> and Chawton is uh, the place where Jane Austen's last ho- house is. She lived in a few places during her life, but Chawton is kind of the most famous one, really. Yeah, it's because, as we know, it's from here. Her works were bestowed upon the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sent out. Yeah. It's a little village, I think. I don't know if it's a village or a hamlet or a... We need stats. Uh, we do. We do. <laughs> There's a little pub over the road called the Grey Friar, just next to Cassandra's Cup Tea Room. Uh, I can see thatch from here. And there's it's one of those sort of vintagey um, signposts. Yeah. Um, you know, one where it tells you which way the church is. There's the church, there's Jane Austen's house, and there's the car park, which is the other ingredient on the sign. You've got to know your way to the car park if you're going to see the church or the house. Yeah. So this other one is Jane Austen's home, given by Thomas Edward Carpenter, JP, it must be a judge, Justice of the Peace, of Mill Hill, in memory of his son, Lieutenant Philip John Carpenter, East Surrey Regiment, killed in action, Lake Trasimene, 1944. So this house was given by Carpenter to... I suppose the Jane Austen Society? Yes. Uh, maybe we'll find out inside. Yeah. Opened in 1949 by the Duke of Wellington. Wow. Not that one. Uh, not the famous one, the other <laughs> not one. Not the real one. Yeah, yeah. President of the Jane Austen Society. What a nice thing. The Duke of Wellington was president of the Jane Austen Society. Hey, that's lovely. I wonder who it is now. We probably should know. We should. Yeah. We'll find out inside. We'll find out inside. Hi, I'm Andrew Hunter-Murray. And I'm Amy Cook-Hodgson. And, and this, this is Meet, Meet Me at, at the Museum. museum. I always introduce myself whenever I do a day out at a museum or a gallery, I say. I give a brief praise of my career and my notable work so far. Um, I'm a writer and comedian and uh, I work on QI and I work on the podcast No Such Thing as a Fish, which aims to find interesting facts. So I've got a sneaky eye out for those today in case I find any lurking around. And I am an actor and improviser and singer. I work with Andy Murray on a show called Ostentatious, which is an improvised Jane Austen show. Yes, and Ostentatious, we, we make up new Jane Austen stories every show, basically. So, you know, the audience will suggest a title, we'll ask for one, and they will shout out something like The Sixth Sense and Sensibility, or Mansfield Shark, or Godzilla versus Megadarcy, if they're feeling in a really North silly Anger mood. Northanger Cabby, Northanger Tabby, Northanger Rabbi, we've had, we've had all North sorts. Northanger Abba. <laughs> and um, we, we say that this is a lost Jane Austen work one she wrote probably here at Chawton and um, and then we, we recreate that live over the next hour or so so that's the idea behind the show so we're incredibly excited to be here at Jane Austen's actual house where real books were written yes <laughs> oh it's nice and warm in here you get to come in through the gift shop. This is great. Yeah. Lots of lovely books. Oh my goodness. You've got, what is this? Be Gone Dull Care. Songs and instrumental music from Jane Austen's music oh. books. Her actual books. Yeah. That's fabulous. We should get one of these for our dance rehearsals. Yeah. Oh, there are great sounding names to the songs as well. Look at this. The Egyptian Love Song, The Little Ploughboy, The Yellow Haired Laddie. laddie. 
Look at this one, Mr. Beverage's Maggot. That's I'm not even joking. That's an actual country dance that people would I have think. done. <laughs> the Battle of the Prague. Prague. Nice. That's great. The Boulanger. La Boulanger. Mm. I love it. Oh, and there's fudge. You can't leave a gift shop without fudge. Uh, all British museums, by law, have to stock a small amount of fudge somewhere on the premises. Yeah. Fudge, bit of shortbread. Yep. Oh, look at that. <laughs> there's a Jane Austen dress made out of tea towels. That's kind of inspired. I love it. The but, prayers of Jane Austen. Oh, that's cool. I've never seen that before. Oh, oh wow. I didn't know she had written these. Teach us, Almighty Father, to consider the solemn truth as we should do, that we may feel the importance of every day and every hour as it passes. It's like mindfulness, really. Mm. Can I have a look? Yeah, please. Um, dear God, struggling for an ending to persuasion, can you help? <laughs> mm. um, so God does exist. There's evidence. The, oh, wow. This is um, So they've got her teenage writings, which are the things that no one ever... Uh, reads really, they're not really read, but they're so much fun. They're really anarchic and they're creative, and people get thrown out of carriages and they suddenly drop down dead. And they're well, obviously, all the novels are funny, but these are kind of done, played for broad comedy. Whereas, you know, then you see, you can... she gets more sophisticated, exactly. She gets yeah, but it still remains funny, you mm. know. There's a bust of Jane who looks a bit like Mozart. Oh. I'm not gonna lie, doesn't she look a bit like Mozart? Well, both geniuses, <laughs> no. <gasps> There's a museum oh. cat, <gasps> Marmite, or Marmite doesn't like being touched. When she's in a mood or sleeping. She sounds like me. Yeah. Aww. Do you love or hate Marmite? What? Marmite. The cat. The cat. I yeah. love cats. Oh, well. How about you? Um, well, let's just see how we go. Okay. We... <laughs> Hello there. Hi. 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 Uh, could we have two tickets, please? Yes, certainly. Two Thank adults. Thank you. Yes, please. Uh, we've got our art passes as well, That's just lovely. here. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. That gives you 50% off today. Oh, great. Thank you. So if you just go through the door, make your way round to the front of the museum. Okay, have you been here before? No. Okay, great. So if you have any questions, this steward's in the house. And this year we're celebrating our 70th anniversary. All right. Great, thank you very much. What kind of museum person are you? I don't, I think I'm quite a good person to go to a museum with, <laughs> if I do say so myself, because I'm happy to be by myself. I don't need to, you know, stay next to the same person the whole way through. That drives me insane if someone's looking at the same thing at the same speed as me. But similarly, I like having enough time to really look around. Like my boyfriend, when I go with him to museums, he just whizzes off ahead and he's finished. Like we, we were in Poland a couple of weekends ago and we went to the, I don't know if you've ever been, the World War II Museum in Gdansk. It's incredible incredible um, but you basically need an entire day it's so huge and after about three of the rooms I realized that I needed to pick up my pace because there was no way I was going to get through all the material um, but in the meantime Jonah had basically finished the entire museum <laughs> so I think like, I think I'm sort of a good mid-ground person I like to get involved and really take in what's there and, and see and read but also um, yeah you don't need to stick next to me Andy I'm giving you permission to go ahead if you okay. need to well how about you I love to stick next to one person oh, all the way it. through, <laughs> and I, I like to read out very loudly and very slowly all one the information cards. Yeah, <laughs> we're behind you. And um, if there's anything I think you've missed, I'll drag you back and I'll say, no, 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 look at this butter churn. Oh, right. Lord. Okay, so we're going into the museum now. Oh, wow. 
Okay. My goodness, here, there's a donkey carriage <gasps> here. It says, this donkey carriage was stored elsewhere for many years, but was identified as one belonging to the Austin women when they lived here. Isn't wow. that amazing? So it's like a little, almost like a pony and trap sort of carriage, but with a donkey. That's fabulous. So only rich people had carriages, so we have the idea that, you know, everyone's going around in a carriage. Austin herself wouldn't have been wealthy enough to afford one. So, so they had this sort of wooden... It's, it's really... Like a, it's very sweet, sweet, isn't it? I didn't know Austin had a donkey. No. It's a, it's a little wooden carriage with a couple of forks at the front that you'd kind of hook over, uh, and you'd put those, I guess, into the donkey's uh, harness... And you could probably sit two of you comfortably up on there. I don't know about comfortably. You could sit two of you uncomfortably up on there. <laughs> and there looks like there's a wooden partition, so I guess you can store your shopping beneath you. Doesn't that look amazing? So it's a bit like a shop mobility scooter, basically, <laughs> but with the addition of a donkey. <laughs> oh, it says here that they would have used it for shopping trips, and it would have been extremely useful. Uh, so we're coming out of the outbuildings now, and we're heading towards the house proper. Um, and we're walking through a little uh, sort of paved pathway past some of the other outhouse buildings. Mm. Very pretty. And it looks like this is like a kitchen garden here um, with all sorts of plants they would have grown for cooking and for medicine, I would have thought. Oh, and look, there's a thing called a bakehouse here. <gasps> Ooh, right up my alley. It's this lovely little courtyard, isn't it? And the building's mm. sort of nice red brick Oh, Two it, floors, or three, I can't tell. There's, that... a story, there's something here as well about the preservation of the house itself. So, about 500 years ago, goodness, there was a thatched timber dwelling here. Oh, it was used as a farmhouse and a coaching inn. Mm. Oh, OK. And then, in 1769, the house was purchased by the Knight family. OK, so these are friends of the Austin family. They yeah. were connected to them. They didn't have any children, did they? Right, and they, they took in Jane Austen's brother, Edward. Right. And he then offered it to his mother, also Austen's mother, and his sisters, Jane and Cassandra. And that's why uh, Jane Austen came to live here. OK, so it must have been after they'd moved from Steventon because their father had died. Yeah. And they were sort of homeless then. And they lived in Bath for a little while in between, but Austen yeah. hated Bath, which um, the, Bath, the Bath lobby Bath. don't yeah. want you to hear, but we're, we're going to blow that blood blood wide it. open on that. Uh, and goodness, and Austin's sister Cassandra lived here <gasps> till from 1840. 1845. 1845. It's incredible. I mean, Austin died very young. She was 41, yeah. so she died in 1817. It's not crazy that Cassandra would have lived another 28 years. But that's extraordinary. So, right into Victorian period. Yeah, and then it became a working men's club. <laughs> Did it? Yeah. Have you made that up? No, no you're no, right. No. Accommodation for labourers and, and a working a work men's club. club. Can you imagine doing stand up here? <laughs> Any, uh, Tough crowd. Any persuasion fans then? <laughs> I suppose I'd like to find out a bit about what just what Jane Austen's life was like, her day-to-day life, because mm. you're so used to reading the books, and you know I really love the books, and I guess I don't tie it to an actual person writing mm. them because they're such complete works of art. You know, you you just kind of. You you think that they have just arrived here and it's easy to divorce them from the, the place and time they were created in. So, if anything, I'd like to understand the books better 
by going around here is my aim. What about you? Um, well, I think I probably know more about the social history of the time than I do the books, dare I say that. Um, I am sitting next to someone who did their degree <laughs> in Jane Austen, so I think that's OK to say. But I'm really interested in that. I think that's how I understand history is through the social um, details. So I, as I've probably mentioned a thousand times already, can't wait to see her desk because I think I'm so fascinated. We know that it's small and octagonal, um, but I just want to see really how tiny it was that these huge great literary pieces were conceived and and recorded on such a tiny little round octagonal table um so i'm really keen to see that i'm also really keen on seeing how small living quarters probably were Mm. um and sort of imagining you know the the chores of having to light fires to make everywhere warm sort of the the trudgery and the the I guess the difficulty of living in that time period yeah. really Trudgery un- yeah. is a great new word that you've just I've coined. Just made up. Yeah. Write it down in your QI program. <laughs> when do you get to tea? <laughs> so, we're just going into the bakehouse now. I'm particularly excited about this, Andy, Jane, as you know. Yes. Amy is an extremely accomplished baker, I believe is the word. Yeah, you can use baker or bakeress. I don't mind. <laughs> So let's have a look at the bakehouse. Oh, there's an original... Wow, this is the oven, the original oven that would have been used. Looks like a really fancy modern-day pizza oven. You know, Uh, those, like, stone ovens. You're so North London. I'm so North London. Um, And there's also a copper... So it's used for washing clothes, and you there's a there's a gap oh, a beneath fire. it where you can build up a fire, and then there's this huge metal tub that you put your clothes in Look how uh, it's with the hot water, although the water is heated, and it's really ornate. It's Isn't got it? beautiful Carving, concentric rings, and yeah, and I guess you have to have a big wooden handle to churn all your clothes around and get all the dirt out of them. Yeah, that's remarkable. So you have to God, it's the the effort of life. You draw water out of the well, you get the Water from the well to the copper, mm. put the water in the copper, build up the fire, I water gets hot. What you're describing, Andy, is the trudgery of life. <laughs> you're determined to make this a thing, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I'll keep saying it. No, you're right, because actually when we're looking around here at all these sort of outbuildings, like even all the animal buildings, all of this work would have been done by women. Yeah. Whilst the men were what? Either reading in church <laughs> or shooting pheasants. Yeah, or defeating Napoleon, let's not, I mean, sure. (laughs) Okay, so, time for the drawing room. (gasps) Oh, gosh, an actual real drawing room. Oh, wow. Look at the wallpaper. It's lovely. So we've got bookcases, we've got a great big table here. Looks like it might have been a dining table. Maybe not, maybe there's a dining room somewhere else. All kinds of furniture that looks like it might have been owned by the family. Shades long in the corner. Yeah, chaise long, it's beautiful. Isn't it? And here we've got a piano. Now let's have a look at this. Let's see this. So this is a square piano. It doesn't look like any kind of piano I've ever seen. Mahogany case square piano made by the composer and piano manufacturer Muzio Clementi in 1813. Very similar to one purchased by Jane Austen when she moved in here. Amazing. I wonder what it wow. sounds like. You, I think you should give it a play. I just give it... I, I mean... I think we have secured permission as well. OK. I feel very privileged to do this. I should also point out, Andy, that I don't play the piano. No, it's not... To, come on, Amy. No, I'm going to play a C major chord. That's how bad it is. Oh, hang on. 
to just think how many scenes we've set in a drawing room. <laughs> Almost no. every one. Yeah. Well, we've been doing Austin for about, is it eight or nine years now? Eight, seven? It's something terrifying like it's that, so yeah. Terrifying. And I, do you remember when we first got together, that group of us, we met in the Soho Theatre Bar yeah. to have a chat? I found my notebook the other day from that meeting. I should, yeah, I should hang on to it. Um, where we just all sort of chatted about what sort of long-form show we might like to build. And do you yeah. remember we said we thought we might do literary genres, so one year we might do Austin, then we might do Dickens, and then right. we might do something. And yet we've just stuck with Austin, haven't we? <laughs> we've had one idea. That's it. And we stayed doing it, yeah. <laughs> it was you and Rachel Paris, wasn't it, who wanted to do Jane Austen? Yeah. And Joe Morpogo and I, who were the other two sort of well, in the, thought, the beginning. Well, not only because you, we'd obviously been in the imps with you, but you both had done your dissertations in Austin which was obviously very useful. Oh, yeah, it's been so useful over the last eight years, having a good working knowledge of the plot of the novel. <laughs> it's been no use at all. Because no. you get given scenarios by the audience that are so crazy that, you know, there's no... You throw it all out the window. You do, yeah. I mean, the shows that we do, they're, they're all completely different, though. That's the nice thing, isn't yeah. it? And all around the country, you get different audiences and different suggestions and... There's something about Jane Austen, though, that means people are willing to try an improvised comedy about Jane Austen. Mm. I don't think many people really know about improvised comedy in this country, but Jane Austen is such a huge cultural touchstone mm. that I think that's what makes people willing to give it a go. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's something uh, safe and beloved about Jane. It's so part of our cultural experience, possibly growing up, reading it at school, watching these BBC adaptations when you're a teenager, maybe. So, yeah, I think people know roughly what to expect. And then they see yeah. our show and they realise they had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> and nor did we. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I think we, we all know and love Jane. And so yeah. that makes it an easier sort of jumping off point. Yeah, and we've had a few relatives. A few members of the Austin family have come to see the show. I don't think they've all loved it. No. Do you remember that time in Lyme Regis? I, that's exactly the one I'm thinking oh of. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It was like a great, great niece or something. Yeah. And she loathed it. I think she thought we were taking the mickey out of Jane yes. Austen, which isn't the intention, no, you know, it's at very, all. It's very much done with love. I think that's fair. I think if you're a relative of, you know, one of England's great literary stars, <laughs> to then see an improvised comedy show where it's just six people mucking around on stage coming up with a plot off the, off the hoof. That's right. <laughs> There's a lady waiting for us in the garden. How exciting. I know. It's How bit, romantic. It's a bit Catherine de Bourgh. She's yeah. not like Catherine de Bourgh, though. She's lovely. Do you know who she is? I do. You've had a, a yeah. prior meeting. <laughs> So pretty. It's lovely. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello, I'm Hi. Amy. Hi, Amy. It's nice to meet you. I'm Susie. I'm the head of visitor services. Great. So this is the garden. It is, yes. Yeah, it's a really stunning garden, actually. And we have a lot of visitors that come just to see the garden. Really? Yes, it's a really beautiful, tranquil place. And people love to just come and sit here and have picnics. Mm. And uh, we sometimes have proposals as well. <gasps> really? Yeah, we had a fabulous one last year. A couple from America came. And um, his now fiancé didn't know that he was going to bring her here. And as soon as they landed at Heathrow, he drove her straight down, straight to the house walked around the house showed her around and when they came back out he got down on one knee <gasps> wow so uh -huh. she was absolutely overjoyed and of course we were all in on the secret so we were able to sort of peer out from around the corner and then after he had 
gone down on one knee and she'd said yes we all sort of came running out and we're like oh congratulations you know it was it was fabulous and she was crying but it was lovely he'd organized a photographer to come and uh, so the photographer was able to you know, very discreetly behind a tree sort of take photographs. <laughs> so if my it boyfriend's listening to this, <laughs> just, uh, just pay attention. Thanks. So how would Jane Austen have spent her days? Well, actually, Jane's, uh, when she first moved here, one of her jobs was to prepare breakfast for the household. And we think, actually, that her sisters and her mother, her sister and her mother, were very um, supportive of her writing. So we do know that she spent an awful lot of hours sitting and writing. So we've always wondered whether perhaps her job was to do breakfast so that then she was done and she could just write for the rest of the day. Yeah, the early shift. Yeah, Yeah. so... I was wondering... Because you were talking about all these things they were doing in the garden, you know, yes. they were having to make mead yeah. and beer and and, and raise the bees. She would have done that, of course, as well, yeah. you know. Um, there's some lovely letters about her, um, you know, when she writes to her family and she talks about the produce from the garden and she even mentions going to London to buy tea and, you know. Um, so we've got some beautiful records. And, of course, she also uh, played the piano, of course, herself. And she used to write sheet music and... And um, we don't have it on display at the moment, but within the collection, we have a book of her uh, sheet music. And there's there's one really lovely piece where she's written the uh, words to the music and the words would have said soldier and she's crossed it out and replaced it with sailor. And we think that's obviously because of her brothers being in the Navy. Oh. And she wanted, she wanted to sing sailor rather than soldier. Amazing. Well, maybe we'll sing a sailor song when we get in there. Yes, let what's next. Oh, there's a dining room. (gasps) It's amazing to think this was a modest house because this is really quite a large dining room. Beautiful tables, a grandfather clock in the corner, and Amy. Yes. (gasps) There it is. The writing desk. The writing desk. (gasps) And now, I'm I'm not going to cry, but I am going to go closer to it. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, and it's not even a desk. It's a no. small, small table. It's maybe a foot and a half, two feet across. It's... Do you know what, Andy? This, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but you know the table we use in our set that I bought at an antique shop? It's a lot it's like this. It's very similar. I can't believe that, you know, books with so many pages... Mm. And obviously she wouldn't have all the pages out at the same time, but it's um, just to think, how would you sh- organise yourself yeah. on that? It's really remarkable. It's, you know, this is where they were all written. All of the characters that we can think of came from the just same from table. This little you space. Know, Emma, Fanny Price, Captain Wentworth. Wentworth. It's the size of an extremely large pizza or an <laughs> average tyre. No, it's small. Uh, it's the size of a hubcap. Yeah. Sorry, that's not helpful either. Um, it's I, well, it's the the table part is the size of a very large pizza for four, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, y- you can choose which pizza shop it comes from. Mm. I'm not going to mention <laughs> any. I like Domino's. Do myself, you? I uh... prefer <laughs> Papa John's. Shall we go in? Yeah, let's go in. It feels like we should. Well, knock first. Wow. Oh. Amazing. Oh, it's 
so beautiful. The most, oh, creaky floorboards. The most um, notable thing in here, I think, is the tent bed. Yeah. So it's fun. It's really it? fun. It's got these beautiful hangings all around it, and you can you can close them up, and you'll be completely inside. You'll be camping. Yeah. Indoors. I was going to say it looks like a small double. I mean, by modern standards, I mean. Yeah. Oh, that's really. There's a there's a thing here all about Austin and her sister Cassandra, because neither of them ended up married. Cassandra's fiance died, which I didn't know. Oh, I didn't either. And so they spent a lot of their life together. And after Austin died, Cassandra uh, burnt a lot of their correspondence to keep it private or prevent any publication of it. Mm. Yeah. So they were incredibly close. What's this in the corner? Because this looks like it's the wash area. Yeah, it's <coughs> wash, wash stand. Wow. This is the sort of thing that freaks the living daylights out of me. If that this is how people had to wash <laughs> in in those days, mm. you know the water probably wouldn't have been very warm. You'd have had to go downstairs and heat it up and bring it back upstairs to have a wash. It's just uh, maybe it's just the I just I couldn't have done it. Was brought up from the kitchen by a maid servant. It says here, this little closet has a wash bowl, tiny you know porcelain wash bowl, sort of cut into a shelf, and a chamber pot. For if you want to go to the loo in the night. I mean, I, I think I'll stick with my ensuite. So, do you think you'd have made a good Regency lady, Andy? No. No. I would have lasted no more than a week. <laughs> I think a I week have no practical skills. <laughs> what about you? Um, you're very, you're very skilled at all of this stuff. So actually, I'm sure you'd have thrived. Yeah, I, I think I'd have, you know, I'd have enjoyed music and the opportunity to do some arty crafty type activities but mm. i would have been really bored i think mm. the fact that that's what you know my life was limited to yeah would have been very frustrating and it's not so much i mean today craft is a hobby back then it was basic survival yes so that make that changes it i think makes it a bit less fun yeah it's yeah it's not about um making a pretty shawl is it but for the sake of making pretty shawl it's because you're cold and you, <laughs> you need to have something that's yeah. that keeps you warm and also just spend you know get rid of some of the time that you had to do nothing you know there's nothing else to do so you had to in the evenings particularly fill it with an activity oh the evenings would have been long oh and candle lit <laughs> it would have been very hygge yeah wouldn't it i mean i guess you could have done some yoga or some mindfulness in the dark? I don't know. Oh, you'd have to do it in the dark. Yeah. I think. No one wants we... to see that. No. <laughs> so we've seen the house and how Austin lived, and now it's time for the life experience bit. There's a room full of bonnets, it's full of quills. Amy, you're going to get to put on a bonnet and oh. do some quill... Quilligraphy. Some quilligraphy. Some quilligraphy. quilligraphy. <laughs> Can't wait, let's go. <laughs> That's another cue, perfect. Quills. We'll do something on quills for the next QI series. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, wow. There's a huge, big sort of, not range, but big stove. Enormous fireplace. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is the kitchen where all the meals were prepared. And... There was a cook, that's good news. 
So it says also there's cold storage for meat and dairy products below ground. Wow. Adjacent to the bakehouse. That's very oh, cool. Isn't it? So, right, here's a top hat, so I'm immediately going to put the hat on. Okay, well, I'm immediately going to find a bonnet then. Um, oh, it's one of these straw ones. Um, I have a very big head, Andy. Okay. So this might not end well. There we uh, go. That's very fetching. Thanks. It fits as well on your giant head. On oh, my giant head. <laughs> What about your giant head in a top hat? Uh, actually, I've um, got an extremely small head. Oh. You know, I'm down to my mid-ears on this. <laughs> and these are very like the ones we have in the show, aren't yeah, they? they really are. Yeah. OK, well, we should put a few in our bags and... Uh... Yeah, not tell anyone. Yeah. OK. All right. well, let's move on. <laughs> there's a huge fireplace here, and above it there's a shelf which has all kinds of you know, old copper saucepans, lots of dried herbs hanging up, and lots of bits of kitchen paraphernalia on top of it as well. I think what else is um, interesting is that um, whilst they were living here, Martha Lloyd, who was the family friend who lived with them here, um, collected recipes for food and household remedies. And so I guess we can sort of see what they would have eaten mm. and how they would have made their own sort of medicines, I guess, at the time, using things that they'd grown in the garden and they were able to generate themselves. It's fascinating. Well, there's some tips from Martha here. It says... Um, Boil your calf's head till the meat is near enough for eating. Lovely. Mm. I, I haven't had calf's head for ages. No, probably no. not since 1814. I stopped doing it in M&S as well, which is really annoying. If you could steal one object from the museum, what would you steal? That's a good question. I mean, I don't think I could because it's huge, but I th I'd like to steal the piano. Ah, uh, that's a good one, yeah. Mm. What do you think about Jane herself? Like, how have we discovered more about her today? I don't know. Just seeing someone's house can sometimes be divorced from what you know about them, mm. or it just gives you a new perspective on them, one that you'd never considered before. I hadn't really thought of Austin as a person, you mm. know. It kind of reassures me a bit about her, because she's got this famously cruel wit. But mm. the fact that she was living there and getting along with people and writing to her sister and um, it it's, it humanises her. Mm. I think the thing that I, I... I mean, we know, obviously, that she was writing at a time when it was not appropriate for a woman to be writing, so she sort of had to do it reasonably quietly. The fact that just knowing that her chore, if you like, on the rotor was to get the tea ready yeah. in the morning <laughs> meant that it facilitated her ability to get on with the thing that she was most passionate about, which was writing, and that her family allowed her to do that or encouraged her by allowing her to make the tea and that be her job. Yeah. Um, I think that's fascinating. We know that she truly was a passionate author. I, the main thing I feel is just, I feel so sad that she didn't, really know quite how much her work would be mm. appreciated and loved in the years World after over, she died. Yeah. World over. I mean, it, that, that makes me really sad to think of that. I don't have a happy ending for that bit, <laughs> but I do feel it. And actually, that is another thing that I think maybe I've realised a bit more, because there is this popular image of Jane Austen that she was just, uh, you know, a spinster with a, with a sharp tongue who wrote some kind of inconsequential novels about, you know, people falling in love and falling out of it. And just seeing what she had to, what she was up against to write her novels, mm. you know, the demands on her time and on her labour and on her effort, the fact that she went through all of that to produce these works, mm -hmm. I think, makes them even more special and interesting than they are. Yeah. Amy, would you go to another museum with me based on what you've experienced today? 
you asking me to go to another museum with you? I'm considering it. All right. Well, I'd consider the offer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I think spending time with you anyway is fascinating because you're so knowledgeable about so many different things. No, it's true. Stop and, it. No, it's Stop re- it. I mean, you're one of the most knowledgeable people I can ever imagine existing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always wonderful spending time with you, but particularly in particularly today has been a treat because, you know, this is something you're passionate about and, you know, Jane's writing is something that you're passionate about. So it's been wonderful to spend it with you today. So thanks. Oh, I, I feel the same way, Amy. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I've been Andrew Hunter-Murray. Thanks for listening to me and Amy Cook-Hodgson at the Jane Austen House Museum in Chawton for Meet Me at the Museum. If you like this episode of the podcast, please rate, subscribe or tell a friend. Don't forget, if you've got an art pass, you can get free entry or discounts on museums all around the country. Bye for now.